So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to, I'm going to read from verse 19, but we're going to really look at verses 25 through 30. But I want to start here. Edward Kemble is maybe a name you've heard of, but probably not. It's a name you might not be familiar with, but he played a pivotal role in the life of a household name that we all know. Now, he wasn't an itinerant preacher. He wasn't a a famous pastor, but he was a dry goods salesman who taught a Sunday school class that Dwight Moody happened to attend. He was the one who brought the gospel to a very lost Dwight Moody. And as a result of his ministry, we know Dwight was saved and we know the impact that he's had for the faith. In reading from an article, it says, Feeling especially burdened for a very lost Dwight, he, Edward, determined to visit him at the shoe store where he worked. He was feeling the tug of the Spirit to tell Dwight what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Kimball's fears flared up at the door as he thought of reasons to not pursue his mission. However, he did go in and found a young Dwight in the back room. Later, Kimball would say, I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. See, Edward Kimball, he's not a name that we all know right off the top of our mind. And yet, here we have two examples of effective ministers in the kingdom of God. One well-known, one not so well-known. And yet, both of them were faithful to the calling that God had placed upon their lives. We know of the ministry of Moody because of the platform and the prominence the Lord allowed him to have. And yet, Edward Kimball was the significance of his ministry any less than that of Dwight Moody? And I would say no. Throughout Scripture, we see a lot of people involved in this New Testament church and ministry, and even back into the Old Testament, some names that we're quite familiar with. But then we have names like Tychicus and Gaius, and one that we're going to study today, um, Gosh, I forgot his name. Uh, Epaphroditus. (laughs) I've been looking at his name all day, right? Um, Epaphroditus. We're going to study him tonight. And these are names that, right off the bat, we we don't know much about them. And yet, just as much as Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, Peter, John, these people were effective in the ministry that God had given to them simply because they were just faithful to do what God had placed before them. Now, this book of Philippians was written by Paul, we believe, during his first imprisonment in Rome. And this book is a part of the the group designated the prison epistles. So that would include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, where Paul wrote to um, these churches and to Philemon during this first imprisonment in Rome. Philippi was a place near and dear to Paul's heart. He visited there there a few times, ministering and training up and establishing the church there and teaching them the ways of the Lord. And this was a church that he wrote to. Now, Philippi is about 800 miles by land from Rome. And we're going to meet Epaphroditus, who had traveled from Philippi to Rome to minister to Paul and who will be shortly sent back to Rome. 
Let's read. Um, let's start in verse 19, and we'll read down to verse 30. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Paul, he, as if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He thinks he'll probably continue, but he really doesn't know. He's hoping to be released so that he can continue ministering, but his plan is to send Timothy back to Philippi and shortly come after, but he's kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with him. But as we continue on in verse 25, he's going to send another man immediately. Verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Epaphroditus traveled quite some way. We don't know if he traveled by land or by sea. But he traveled quite some way in order to minister to Paul's need. And if you read further into chapter 4, we really see a little bit more of what that need was and, and what um, Epaphroditus had brought to him. It was an offering from the church at Philippi to, to help partner with Paul in his missionary efforts. And so there was this gift, this financial support that came to him. And not only that, but the, uh, the fellowship and the encouragement that Epaphroditus would bring to Paul as well. But here we meet Epaphroditus. This is the only passage in Scripture that we have uh, mentioning this man. And yet, what volumes it speaks of his faithfulness in ministry and the effectiveness that he had in ministering to Paul into the body of Christ there at Philippi. In verse 25, Paul describes Epaphroditus as my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And you can really hear the sincere appreciation that Paul had for this brother and for his work of the gospel. He says, my brother, it speaks to the relationship that Paul had with Epaphroditus, that they were sons of the same king, that they had the same promises and were heirs to the same promises that are in Jesus Christ. We also see that Paul mentions him as a fellow worker, which really concerns the idea that they were both focused and engaged in the same work. They weren't active for the work of Christ, serving God by ministering the gospel and edifying the body of Christ, though both of their ministries looked a little bit different. 
And he also called him a fellow soldier, which alludes to that spiritual battle that both Paul and Epaphroditus were a part of and that they were engaged in, that they were on the same side fighting back the the forces of evil with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I find so interesting is that this Epaphroditus to Paul was a valuable member and was, in a sense, on the same playing field. They were on the same level. He was his brother. He was his fellow worker and fellow soldier, not just some hireling who uh, was a somebody who could bring something to him, bring the money that he desperately needed. No, he was a co-worker. He was a fellow soldier in the work of Jesus Christ to Paul. Inasmuch as Paul was preaching to the Gentiles the gospel, Epaphroditus was partnering in that ministry by ministering to Paul what the church at Philippi needed to give to him and had lacked up to this point in giving to him. Now, while his ministry looked different than Paul's, The opposition was from the same enemy, wasn't it? While his ministry looked different, the spiritual objective was the same, and that souls would be saved, and the church of Jesus Christ would be built up. See, Epaphroditus was a faithful man. He's somebody you want to be working with in ministry. As we've read, nothing stopped this man, even an illness that brought him to the doorstep of death. I love this because Paul... You read about his missionary journeys in Acts, and he was so concerned with the people that he ministered to and that he ministered alongside. He really cared about the people, and he was excited to partner in ministry with faithful men to take the gospel to the world. I think of this great family that we have been grafted into as believers of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we have been given works. God has created works for us to walk in. He talks about, and we'll get there in a moment, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, of how we all have been brought into the body of Christ, and we all have a specific purpose. We have giftings that God has given to us. And working together, Peter says, and we'll get there in just a moment, that we are this living body that's being built together. And we have this ministry that we have been brought into by the Lord, and we are serving together to bring the gospel to the nations and to edify the church of Jesus Christ. Consider the people who are sitting to your left and to your right, who are sitting in this room, or in the church down the street, who believe in Jesus and teach his word. We're on the same team. We are fellow soldiers in the ministry, fellow workers. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord on the same team, and consider that God has placed you and me on this earth to carry out His work, to preach the gospel, and to edify the body of Christ. We've been given the great commission to build up the church. We've been given a task to carry forward. So this is who Epaphroditus was to Paul. He was a brother, a dear friend, and a faithful minister alongside of him. And to the Philippians, as Paul says there in verse 25, he says, he's my fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So Epaphroditus was sent out from Philippi to meet Paul's need. Now the word for messenger is also the same word for apostle in the original language. But 
Paul is using this term in a general sense to describe Epaphroditus' mission from Philippi as a messenger, one who would bring something to another. And this purpose of his coming to Paul's aid was, at its core, not just an errand. It wasn't just so that he could bring a physical thing to Paul to help him out. But what we see in in this language that Paul is using is that this was a holy act. This was something that was given to Epaphroditus by God to do. This was a calling upon his life to serve in this way. The word that Paul uses there for ministered is an important one. The one who ministered to my need. Actually, the original word for minister, I'm quoting from a commentator here, namely Leturgos, indicates that the task of Epaphroditus was viewed as one in which he and the church of Philippi through him rendered official and sacred service. And this not only to Paul, but to the cause of the gospel, hence to God himself. The sending of Epaphroditus, with all that it implied, was a religious act, a true offering, a sacrifice. And when you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, also chapter 4, verse 18, Paul viewed what Epaphroditus had done not just as a simple act toward him, but as a sacrifice unto the Lord, that he would come and give of his life even almost unto death and bring that sacrifice unto the Lord. We might say, but was he just a messenger, a courier of money, bringing glad tidings from the church at Philippi? See, we might think that initially, but no work for God is as simple as it seems. It's deep. At the core of every good work in the kingdom of God is worship and sacrifice on, the part, on our part. Right? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, our lives are living sacrifices. We should be offering them up to the Lord. I referenced this passage earlier, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, that we are those New Testament priests tending to the ministry of the living body of Jesus Christ, His church. All that we do, great or small in our eyes, are those spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. Those things that you are engaged in in ministry, those conversations you have to bring the gospel to your coworkers or to your family, the ministry that you serve in regularly in church or out in the community, the family that you shepherd and that you minister to, all of these are holy acts unto God. These are things that He has given to us to steward and to live in as sacrificial opportunities for worship. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. See, all of the things that we have set before us by the Lord are opportunities to do it in His name and for His glory. Wherever you serve, whatever you do, if you're delivering a blessing to a missionary, just like Epaphroditus, that is holy ministry unto the Lord, not something to be taken lightly. Which, which brings us to another point is that 
As we come and serve, whatever ministry you are involved in, whatever God has put before you, it's not just simply a task. It's unto the Lord. It's worship to Him. It's something sacred, and it's something that we should approach with reverence. It's something that is unto the Lord. It might be a simple, mundane task, but it's unto God, and it's, it's important in His sight, and we should treat it as such. As Paul received that gift, he recognized that Epaphroditus was ministering in a sacred way to his need. In verses 26, 27, and 28, we see that um, he was really sick and his journey. Now, I mentioned 800 miles between Philippi and Rome. And if someone were to travel by land, that would really take about a month, uh, the way the, the roads were. And they, they had some great ways to travel. The Ignatian Way um, was a part of that journey on up to Rome. And so... Um, he could have gotten there in a month, but it, it seems that it was quite some time from the, the point he left Philippi until he arrived in Rome. And somewhere along that journey, he became really sick. And that word had gotten back to Philippi and had gotten to Paul as well, and both were concerned about his well-being. Verse 26, since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly to you, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. So he was really sick. The Philippians, they were really concerned about him. Paul was like, I am so glad that the Lord had mercy on you because the grief would have been real deep in my heart, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow, he says in verse 27. And so Paul, Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul, and it would seem for him to stay there for some time. But Epaphroditus arrives in Rome, Paul receives the gift, has that opportunity for ministry, and he's like, Epaphroditus, I've heard from Philippi, they're really worried about you. And even in Epaphroditus' heart, he wanted to get back to them because he was worried about Philippi's worry for him. So Paul really just turns him back around. And we believe Epaphroditus is bringing this letter of Philippi back with him. And so he sends him back. But the Lord had mercy on him. The Lord wasn't done with Epaphroditus. And he had a purpose. This idea of sick almost unto death, as Paul says, it carries the idea that the anticipation from everybody was that he would die. As one commentator says, it suggests to us that they gave up all hope that he would live. It's a really bleak situation, but the Lord intervened, had mercy, and allowed him to continue on. And that caused a great heaviness to come on the believers at Philippi in Paul as well. This was certainly an obstacle for, uh, for Epaphroditus, wasn't it? You're on this missionary journey, and you become sick. You're, you're unable to continue in, in what you have set out to do. And yet, sometimes isn't that the way it goes? Obstacles and difficulties will come when we are serving the Lord, when we step out in faith to serve. Now, 
opposition from others can come against us. Read through the book of Acts. Read the letters of Paul. You'll see opposition came to to him from all sorts of directions, to the early church, from all sorts of directions. But opposition can come from us in many ways, from enemies, from friends, from unbelievers, from other ministry participants, from the enemy in discouragement. Physical ailments like Epaphroditus, this sickness, physical ailments can come and at times hinder us from carrying out the ministry that God has called us. How about our own flesh? Anybody struggle at times with your own flesh, getting in the way of what the Lord wants to do? All right, I'm the only one. Okay, all right. Our own flesh and desire for comfort and ease of life, um, man, it gets in the way sometimes. How about this? Church hurt. Have you been hurt by somebody in the church? Maybe a a leader that you looked up to and you revered, or somebody that you were serving alongside, and they said something or did something that cut you deep. Church hurt. These things and people coming against us that really hurt us, and we've decided we can't trust anybody and we're going to shut down Oh, we have to forgive and forge ahead. So many things can come against us as we set out to serve the Lord. I would just say, and not every situation is the same, right? Epaphroditus very well could have died, but that wasn't the Lord's will for him. The Lord had mercy on him. But after he recovered, he determined that he was going to press on. He determined that he was going to fulfill that which he had set out to from Philippi from the get-go. And that was to, to minister what was lacking in the Philippians' uh, giving to Paul. And, and, and lacking, not in the sense that they didn't care about his ministry, but that they didn't have opportunity to give to him until Epaphroditus came. So, our resolve in serving the Lord and pressing on in ministry, no matter what obstacles come our way should be like the resolve of Epaphroditus, who after being on his sickbed almost unto death, he got up and decided, I'm going to continue what what the Lord has called me to do. If I'm able, I'm going to finish the task that God has given me to do. So, he became sick. He had a mission. He continued on with that mission. And I really love verses 29 and 30 here. He says, Paul, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So what we've seen thus far is that Epaphroditus, he was faithful to carry out the task God had set before him to do, even in the face of sickness that led him to death. He was a faithful minister. Paul regarded him very highly as a brother, as a fellow worker, and as a fellow soldier in the faith. And what we see from these verses is that he was far more concerned with his mission and his faithfulness to the Lord and the welfare of others than for his own. He was concerned about other people. And I don't think this is a mistake of Paul mentioning Epaphroditus and mentioning Timothy, because early in chapter 2 and in chapter 1, Paul talks about suffering for the Lord. Paul talks about walking in humility 
before one another, living a humble life, living a life of sacrifice. And isn't this the picture that Paul paints with Timothy and Epaphroditus? That they both were faithful to the Lord, that they were humble to serve where God had called them to serve? Faithful men, humble men, serving and seeking out the need of others before their own. Paul said of Timothy, I have no one like-minded like him, right? Epaphroditus said, receive this brother with gladness. Receive him in the Lord for what he's done, because he hasn't regarded his own life, but the sake of mine and the ministry and the Lord. So, he was concerned about the mission the Lord had given him and the welfare of others far more than his own. Paul says, esteem him, right? Esteem him. And, and over and over again, as far as ministry is concerned, the marks of the esteemed, according to Scripture, are not accolades and plaques, not titles and letters that follow your name, but the marks of the esteemed, according to Scripture, are a godly character and a selfless nature that would serve the Lord no matter what. That is what is to be esteemed in the church of Christ, in the servants of the Lord. So Paul says, esteem him because of his faithfulness to serve. Not because he's some great man, not, not because he's accomplished something so great in his own effort, but because he didn't regard his own life for the mission of the Lord. Esteem that man. Be like that man. Look to that man who set a good example for you. Paul says that Epaphroditus did not regard his life. And this brings to mind a passage that Jesus shared. We see it in a few of the Gospels. But I'll read from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Isn't this what Epaphroditus was about? Isn't this what Paul was about? Not regarding their life as their own, but regarding their life as the Lord's. And come what may, they were, they were going to serve the Lord. They were going to do what God had called them to do. Epaphroditus was a walking testimony of Jesus' words there. And you know, self-preservation is the drumbeat of our age. And if we are not careful, we can allow the same sentiment to settle in our hearts that we must preserve ourself. We must do what is in the best of, of our interests, Right? Not the, the best interests of those to whom the Lord has given me to minister. Now, the Lord has called us to good works. And there are some times where the Lord will call us to do a particular work and to pull back from a particular work. This isn't what is in view. Self-preservation is that idea that says, at all costs, I'm going to preserve myself and avoid all inconveniences whatever the cost, right? And isn't that interesting that self-preservation can encounter all types of inconvenience and yet not step out in faith and endure inconvenience to serve the Lord? 
I find that interesting. But if we're not careful, we can allow this. Now, I look across this room and I see a lot of faithful servants. You know, the Lord has done a great work in raising many of us up. And I see faithfulness that that marks this body. But this is something that we must guard against is this temptation to allow self-preservation to dominate our decision-making. You know that phrase, he did not regard his life? It literally means he gambled with his life. He gambled with his life. He could have died. He, and, and he knew that going out on this ministry venture, he, he knew that he could. He could die. It shows us that he knew the possibility, as one commentator says. He knew the possibility and considered all the alternatives before he ever left Philippi. Some words are a challenge. Alternatives. He knew. He knew what could be before him, and yet he pressed on. It would have been far easier and far more convenient to say, this guy can go in my place. I'm not going to go. Right? I think I'll just rest easy here in Philippi. See, the most important thing in this life is not our comfort. It's not our accumulation of wealth. It's not our status in the political or business world. The most important thing in this world is Jesus and what he has called us to do. Now, I know we're living in an interesting time. People are staying home because they're concerned of their sickness. That's not even what I have in mind here. See, you can have fame, but it's not going with you. You can have wealth, it's not going with you. You can have possessions, it's not going with you. Store up those heavenly treasures and forsake the earthly in your service to the Lord. Do not regard your own life. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as I encourage myself as I say the statement, lose your life for the sake of your God and His gospel that you may truly find your life in Him. That's where life is, is in complete surrender to our Lord. (laughs) I love it because Paul regards in verse 30, Epaphroditus' work as a work of Christ. That holy work that we mentioned before in bringing that support. Not a small thing to Paul or to the Lord. You know, this is the only account that we have of Epaphroditus in all of Scripture. We don't see him mentioned anywhere else. And his role in the church of Jesus Christ, it wasn't as in front as Paul or Peter. Uh, It wasn't as well known as the ministry of James or of John. But he is regarded by Paul as a man who did the work of Christ who came close to death, did not regard his life in service to the Lord. A brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. Another thing I want us to see in the life of Epaphroditus is that his ministry was significant. His ministry was significant. Significant to Paul and significant to the Lord. Now, Epaphroditus... He wasn't raised up as the apostle and and the mouthpiece of God to the Gentiles quite like Paul had been raised up. 
Paul had been given a very unique ministry, a ministry that allowed him to travel throughout the known world and preach the gospel to people and people and people, many people. And here we have Epaphroditus, who was given a commission to go from Philippi to Rome to bring support from the Philippian church. And what does Paul say of him? He is a worker of Christ, and he didn't regard his life. He was a faithful minister of what he had been given to do by the Lord. So here you have one of the most prolific ministers in the entire church in Paul. And we have Epaphroditus who we don't hear much about, but we do know he delivered money to Paul and and encouraged him and brought the letter back to Philippi. Can I encourage you? Your significance in the body of Christ is not determined by the prominence of your assignment. Epaphroditus didn't have the ministry that Paul had, and yet he was regarded by Paul as a faithful minister. And in the eyes of God, both Paul and Epaphroditus were faithful. Don't confuse significance with prominence. You can have a great significance in ministry without ever having prominence. Now, that does not mean that prominence is a bad thing. Paul had a prominent ministry. It's the task that God called him to. It's the ministry that he gave him. And Epaphroditus, he had a ministry of effectiveness and of fruitfulness. And he had a significant ministry, but it looked significantly different than what Paul's was. One commentator says, to preach the gospel is the work of Christ, certainly. To introduce Jesus to a people who had never heard the gospel is the work of Christ, most assuredly. Is to cook a meal and take it to a shut-in the work of Christ? That's what Epaphroditus did. And Paul does not distinguish between his work and the work of Epaphroditus. They were both doing the work of of Christ. Now, at times we can wonder, am I really making a difference? Is this post where God has placed me really fruitful? And and we can be tempted to think, man, what I'm really doing, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the eyes of the Lord or the eyes of the body of Christ. It's not really ministry. In Acts chapter 9, we see a woman, Dorcas, or also known as Tabitha. The thing that we read about her, which I love this so much, is that she was, she was known in the church for being a skilled uh, maker of clothes. She made clothes. And she encouraged the body of Christ by doing what God had gifted her and given her the ability to do. That's what God had gifted her to do and had given her the skills to be able to do that. And the church was heartbroken when she had died. And then, of course, she was raised to life. I mentioned him at the beginning, but Tychicus, we don't know much about him. But we know that he traveled with Paul and he brought letters to Ephesus. He took letters to Colossae. We hear nothing else about his ministry other than these few things in the scriptures. And yet, faithful minister. How about the seven chosen to serve the widows in the early church? We know of one, Stephen, right? Uh, He was uh, a martyr for the faith. 
These didn't have the same ministry as Paul or others, but it was significant ministry that God had given them to do. And they were effective in ministering and edifying the body of Christ by using what God had given them in their spiritual gifts. See, we each play a role and a part in the body of Christ. Our functions are different, but each function is significant to the health of the body. Now, you may serve in a behind-the-scenes type of role in ministry. You may serve in a role that's more visible. You might serve on the clean team. You might serve in the hospitality team or the correspondence course. You might serve here on the worship team. You might teach Bible studies. You might lead a home fellowship. You might be operating some of the technical equipment that we have. It is all significant in the eyes of the Lord, and nothing is diminished and is significant in our worship in the Lord. We have the same responsibility to serve the Lord with gladness and to be faithful to carry what He's given to us if we're teaching a Bible study or if we're scrubbing porcelain. It's to the Lord. It's what He's given us to do. And our posts might look a little different from time to time. Don't despise the ministry God has given you to do. You have been created for good works and you have place in the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 20. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to highlight a few things. For, and you can turn there if you would like. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verses 12 through 20. Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? He goes on to say, God has set the members in verse 18, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. I love that line. Verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Wherever your post is, whatever your assignment is in ministry, God has placed you there. And he's pleased to have placed you there. Don't despise where the Lord is pleased to place you. That's what God has set before you to do. And each part of the body of Christ has a vital function. Whether you play an instrument or vacuum the carpets, if you teach a Bible study or pray for the ministry efforts, maybe you switch cameras or you greet people at the door, whether you're a missionary or a pastor, you have a vital function. Whether you're Paul or Epaphroditus, it's all important in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I had the privilege um, to, for several years, oversee the building and maintenance here. And 
I have a real fondness for the clean team. And it's something that I've learned is that it all matters. It all counts to the Lord, right? You might be vacuuming that carpet and like, you know, what is this? You know, how is this ministering to the body of Christ, right? It's like, I mean, we've all been there. We've been like, why am I doing this? What is this really doing? But I tell you what, it may seem mundane, but God will use it because cleanliness matters. I mean, if this place looked like a gas station, and the bathrooms look like gas station bathrooms, and you know how all of those look, okay? Terrible, all right? Who wants to go back there? I don't want to go back there. No, I want a clean bathroom. Yes, I do. And that speaks to the care of ministry of that body of Christ. It provides a welcoming environment for people to come in and worship their God. You see how these tasks that sometimes in our eyes may seem small are important areas of ministry for the body of Christ. It's not small at all in the eyes of the Lord. Everything we do, as we read in Colossians, should be done unto the Lord. We do it in His name. Epaphroditus knew the responsibility he had in ministering to Paul and bringing Philippi's gift, and it was no different than Paul's responsibility to be faithful to God's call on his life. Influence, effectiveness in ministry is ascribed often to somebody's title or accomplishments, but that's not the way God views it. Effectiveness or influence in ministry is not tied to how many people you serve per se in your ministry, but your faithfulness to carry out the ministry that you've been given by God to do. Now, your influence in one sense, it might be more broad if perhaps you lead a Bible study of 25 people as opposed to five, but both efforts are significant in the eyes of our God. In God's economy, effectiveness in ministry is directly linked to faithfulness in the assignments that He gives you. And you know, the beautiful thing about this is that God calls us to things and oftentimes we'll feel like we can't do it. But that's by design because God has given us His Spirit in order to do these works in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. We see that God has given us spiritual gifts And in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was promised. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born. And we see the transformation and the the power and the effective working of the Spirit of God upon transformed individuals. And man, did they rock the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't because they were great orators. It wasn't because they were uh, all learned people. It wasn't because they were so great. It's because the Spirit of God came upon them and gave them power for the ministry that God had called them to do. (laughs) You know, it's like the, the work is completed by the Lord, and our part is to be faithful and to step out in faith. It reminds me of the Bulls rookie, Stacy King, in an interview after one of the games, I think it was against Cleveland. That night, Michael Jordan scored 69 points. And in the interview afterward, he said, this is Stacy King, I'll always remember it as the night Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> Isn't that what ministry is like with the Lord? 
We've got that one point. And that one point for us is faithfulness. It's being faithful to step out in what God has given us, to continue the course. And the Lord, he's got the rest, you know? The, the results of ministry are up to the Lord. We just need to be faithful. Now, I say this to encourage those of you who are serving. But I also want to ask those of you who aren't serving the Lord. And, and I'm not just saying in a, a ministry here, although I, I believe that if this is your home church, um, we need to be active in, in ministry where the Lord has called us to be at home. But if you're not actively serving in the body of Christ right now, why not? The Lord is worthy of your life. The Lord is worthy of your service. Have you allowed the cares of this life to consume and dictate your decisions? Have you been consumed with pursuing your own desires and neglecting that call of God on your life to serve Him? Those things need to be laid at the foot of the cross and ask the Lord to give you that that fresh desire, that fresh vision, that fresh empowerment to step out into the things that God has called you to do. Now, maybe you're like, I don't even know where to start. Look for the urgent need. Is there an urgent need that is before you where you can bless somebody as you're out in the community? Or there's an urgent need or a need that's in front here in the body of Christ here. Step into that. And as you find yourself serving and being faithful to just serve where the urgent need is, you'll find the Lord will confirm in your heart what your spiritual gifts are. You'll find Him working through you, and the Lord will grow in your heart that desire to serve Him with all of your heart. You have a function in the body of Christ to fulfill. I don't expect, God expects that you would serve Him faithful faithfully in what he's called you to do. I encourage you, serve where you are, use your giftings, press on in difficulty, and don't despise that place that God has given to you. I'll ask the worship team to come on up. We'll close here. And I just encourage you, take a moment. Maybe you've become discouraged in your service to the Lord. Maybe you have been hurt by somebody in the past, and that has prevented you from trusting the Lord and trusting those who are in leadership. And it's kept you from stepping out in faith. I encourage you, surrender that to the Lord afresh. Maybe you've just been all about yourself. Surrender that to God and ask Him to renew within you that right heart and a desire to serve the Lord Paul says, where is it? And I think it's um, Philippians chapter 3. I can't remember the, the verse. Maybe it's Philippians chapter 2. But if you lack that desire, he gives you the desire to serve him and to work out your faith. And so if you lack that, then ask him to rekindle that in your heart. And maybe you have despised the post that God has given you. Remember that Epaphroditus, he delivered some money to Paul. But that was significant in the eyes of God. And he was a faithful fellow minister of the gospel in Paul's eyes and in the eyes of the Lord. Take a moment with the Lord. Allow him to encourage you and strengthen you. And if you need to lay something down before the Lord, do that. And maybe you're not a believer and you're like, I need to be saved. Then believe on Jesus. He died for you. 
to cover your sin. And what's amazing is that he has a purpose for you in this life. And that is to serve him and to fulfill your life of worship to him.